welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show from the Labatt Blue Studio. Labatt Blue and Labatt Blue Light. Bleed blue and white, drink blue and light. And don't forget to try the new Labatt Blue Light Seltzer Variety Pack. Available at retailers throughout Pennsylvania. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, how are you doing? Did you do well through the Valentine's Day and Super Bowl weekend? So we we punted on that particular uh, notion. So we're having Valentine's Day next weekend because the Super Bowl is the one time of the year I get to tailgate. So that's what we did this weekend. So, so you, in other words, you did some very good negotiating there, my friend. I did my best. Also, um, we have one car and I work from home, so I had zero opportunity to go get anything for Valentine's Day. So I'm, it was also a negotiating tactic to buy some more time. Guys, there's a lesson in there for you. So, Yeah, there's your life advice Frank. for today for Ask T. Frank. We're starting the show with it. <laughs> Very good. See, I'm telling you guys, you got a life question. Send it to T. Frank. He's got all the answers. He also has all the answers about football. How'd you like the segue there, T. Frank? It's phenomenal. Yeah. Anyway, uh, don't try this at home. I'm a professional, sort of, kind of. Anyway, T. Frank, we've been talking positions, uh, doing the positional analysis. I think we've got through almost all of them except for the defensive backs. We are going to take care of that today. Let's start with the cornerbacks. And what I like to do before we get to where we're headed for the 22 season, let's look back at 21. Let's see what was done in the 21 season and where they go from there. The starting cornerbacks were Tariq Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. Let's start with Castro Fields. Seems like he's been around forever. He made uh, his mark very early in his career, I think even Mm -hmm. as a true freshman. And we always expected him to, well, if he's playing this well as a freshman, wait till he gets some experience. I think it seems like he was nicked up a bit, never really became the stud cornerback that we thought. That's from a fan's perspective. What did you see from him? You know, it, it it's fair. I think that's fair considering not only what we saw of him as a freshman, but also what his uh, what was said about him, you know, from the coaching staff and and from the recruiting process and how excited they were to get him as a a recruit. Now, some of those things don't always go one to one. So, in the whole, I think it's fair to say he was an, an asset for Penn State football. He was a good football player for a long time with the Nittany Lions. So, that's a recruiting success that you have a starter that you can count on for multiple seasons and played early in his career and with the COVID got an extra year, but you're right. As far as his game changing ability, one of the things we all, we talked about for several seasons and, and he even brought it up is he needed to get more interceptions. He needed to make more plays on the ball and that never quite happened. Uh, and I think one of the things you saw this past season, I, was an emphasis on that, and and then that tendency became something that teams took it, it took advantage of with some double moves, and uh, you know when you saw him lose coverage, but maybe the ball wasn't completed. So, and I want to be careful here too because injuries, and you mentioned being nicked up and stuff like that, is all a part of the evaluation process that we don't know about. So it's unfair to say like 
X, Y, or Z, but at the end of the day, availability is very important. Um, so when you fold all of it in together, I think he was a good football player, and there's no, there's, it would be unfair to call him anything other than that. But if you had high expectations for him to be the next, you know, the next or the first great corner at Penn State, he did not quite get there. Speaking of expectations, on the other side was yeah. Joey Porter Jr. I was a big fan of his coming into the season, and I remain that. I think he's done a lot of great things. I love his length. I love the way he plays. But a lot of fans, the pass interference calls that seem yeah. to happen the second half of the season very consistently, I thought some of them were kind of ticky-tack calls. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the officials, you know, went into the game thinking, okay, this guy has a tendency, so you watch closer, you're quicker to call him or not. Um I still think he's really good. I think he's going to be really good in the 22 season. And then I think he's going to be a pretty good NFL player. That's from a layman. That's from the mm-hmm. fan again. What did you see from Joey Porter Jr.? I'm going to quote uh, something about Penn State basketball here, and I'm going to relate it to Joey Porter Jr. So on our Monday live show on YouTube, Nate Bauer said, um, we know who's expected to win when it comes to Penn State basketball and what the coaches feel about the officiating because head coach Micah Shrewsbury came out after the last loss uh, to Minnesota and said that, you know, the officiating was one-sided, essentially, and that they were not giving Penn State calls. Um, so that, I think, is a fair analogy for Joey Porter Jr. We know who's supposed to be getting the pass interference calls. And that's how he was officiated at the end of the season because after games, coaches turn in tape and they turn in things that they want to emphasize as, hey, you missed this or, you know, we think this is unfair and you should keep an eye on this. And then you saw it from the Ohio State game onward. He got more holding calls and more pass interference calls in situations where most times guys that don't have 35-inch arms and don't physically play the way he does, um, you you don't get those calls. So that's a part of it. And Penn State tried to adapt and adjust, and I do think that kind of played a little bit into that of he stopped doing that early in the route, and then he started doing it late in the route of getting his hands on receivers because there was you know, a little bit of earnestness there at the end, a little bit of, uh, I, I don't want to say panic, but you know, he just, at the end, he would grab. And, and I've said this to you before on this show, I've said it on other shows, he's three-quarters of a great corner in, in those situations where... He's mirroring the receiver really well. He's in phase. He's in the hip pocket. All he has to do is reach around with those long arms and bat the ball away. And that last part is very hard. Playing corner, the reason they're paid so much in the NFL is because it's an insanely impossible task. Don't touch the guy and bat the ball away and get in front of him at the last second and pick the ball off or bat it away. So he's got the tools to do it, and he's got... I mean, you know, his dad's a former NFL player. He's got the resources, the coaching at the at the college level. He's got the independent coaching if he wants it. And and he's aware of these things. You know, he talked before the Outback Bowl about all of this stuff in a very matter-of-fact way, very honest and open way with, uh, you know, the reports are asking questions. So when I hear these things and I see these things of maturity, I don't really have a concern. Maybe they don't hit all the time, but I, I again, he's going to be a good corner. And going back to that Ohio State game, Penn State, the strength of their team was the secondary. And it, you know, if you get called for holding on Olave and Garrett Wilson, two of the best 
receivers in the Big Ten and in the country, you didn't give up a touchdown. I mean, if it's between the two, you know what you have to choose. But even in those situations, I thought he was just battling with those guys and was was going toe-to-toe with them from a lot of different aspects. And he's one of the best corners from a physical standpoint they've had come through here. So, yeah, I, I think next year you can project him being good for sure and then how much has he developed this offseason how much has he taken his game to the next level the sky is still the limit for joey porter jr so joey porter jr will be on one side as a returning starter kalen king got a lot of time as a true freshman i thought he represented himself pretty well for being a true freshman how did you assess him and will he is he the presumptive starter next to joey porter well, Johnny Dixon's going to have something to say about that. Uh, and and those two guys played more at the end of the season. I think that's going to be an underrated battle this year. They didn't bring in Johnny Dixon for no reason. Uh, and and he, he, I thought, acquitted himself pretty well last year as well. Kalen King got out to a great start in spring ball. And I'm just going to take you through what James Franklin said about, about the situation when it comes to uh, the freshman, how he was one of the most ready freshmen that came on campus. And then in the fall, he said... If you're a freshman and you're not starting and, and you're going to be playing your freshman season, you better be on every single special teams unit. You better win those jobs. And he was honest. He said he, he didn't. So he should be playing more, but he isn't. And then as the season went on, he got into the rhythm and, and he got on the field more. And you saw him towards the end, the Michigan game. I know he had the one play that everyone points to. He had a, a, he was burned by a, for a double move against Ball State early in the year during the end of a game. Um, but those are growing moments for a true freshman. It's rare the true freshman that steps on the football field and makes zero mistakes. So his confidence, his physicality, another guy who's a physical corner despite being a little bit smaller at 5'11", he's got the body type, he's got the physical, and I I hate saying this because it's the it factor of athletics, but he looks right. When he does things, it looks the way it's supposed to look. When he runs and he turns and he jumps and everything looks right. So, yeah, I, I, I think he's going to be a very good corner. And then what's the snap distribution next year? Because Johnny Dixon uh, is a good corner in his own right. And, um, you know, I thought played well last season. So having a bigger role next year and how those snaps break out is going to be interesting. Uh, that would be what I would see. And then I'm curious, uh, Zaki Wheatley is another guy on the roster who looks like Joey Porter Jr. Everyone tells me he's going to be a safety, but I'm curious to see if Penn State wants to have more length and size at that corner position. He looks good running. I've only ever I've only seen him on a couple of plays. So I could totally see him playing safety, or I could see him being in the rotation and having two similar body types where if you can manage it and not change your system or schemes when you take one of your best corners off the field, that's a value right there. And having another guy who's 6'2 with long arms, I think they're deep at corner. And it's it's shaping up to be another year where the secondary is the strength of the team. And that's how you have the building blocks of a great defense that plays consistently. And you're going to need more than two guys back there. So, like you said, if it's Dixon and Wheatley who are potential, you know, number three and four, they're, they're going to play. But there's also, we got to talk about at the cornerback position, Daquan Hardy, yeah. who I thought did a great job covering the slot receiver. And you may have already answered this by not mentioning his name when we talked about the two cornerbacks, is... Do he's so good at doing that? Is that where you keep him doing what he did? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, he's a starter. So uh, this is this is getting in the conversation we had last week about the Sam linebacker uh, and, and that 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 lineup and how you choose to go. But your slot corner is a starting corner, and you know I know he only played on on passing downs, but that's if you overlook that position and you don't have your best possible lineup out there, there's no reason to move him to the boundary. He's he's a great slot corner. And, uh, you know, if we want to get into that in the next segment, I, I could talk about it a little bit longer of the value of that position, all those things. But, yeah, I, he's coming back as uh, one of the most veteran players on the team playing at a situation where, listen, last year Jackson Smith and Jigba was in the slot. You had guys that are – you can move a receiver anywhere you want, anywhere. You could, you could, I don't know, line up a receiver at running back if you're Debo Samuel. You've got to have an answer for that as a defense. So having guys that could cover in the slot and having guys that have, you know, three starters out there is critical. And and Daquan Hardy, you don't need to move him because the slot's a really valuable position. And he, he did a great job. Real quickly, there was the one play where he made the interception. And you think typically when an interception is made, the quarterback throws it there because he sees something early in the route that the receiver might be open. No, no, the, the receiver wasn't even close to open. Yeah. Hardy was all over him from start to finish. Very impressive. That's it for quarter number one. Quarter number two, we will shift over to the safeties, T. Frank. Stick with us. This is where the temperatures are unkind. This is where water freezes in the blink of an eye. This is where the wind bites harder than a mid-ice cross-check. This is where the beer is always on ice. This is Labatt Hockey, played the way Mother Nature intended. Labatt Blue is proud to support pond hockey and all the hearty souls that like to play it cool. This is Labatt Hockey. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. 